If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in James today, at the end of James. Uh, If you're looking for that letter from what is probably, probably, I believe anyway, Jesus' brother, um, it's, it's near the end. Uh, if you're in, in Revelation or Peter or John, you've gone, or First John, you've gone a little bit too far. Uh, if you're in Psalms, you're way off. Uh, go way to the right, but you'll find it. James, it's only five uh, little chapters. Um, a thing about me, if you don't know me that well, if you've known me for very long at all, you already know this. Uh, I struggle being in the moment. You you know what I mean? Like to be here and present in a situation. Uh, I I constantly feel pulled somewhere else, almost no matter where I am. Uh, For example, uh, when my son was little, he would, and he's not little anymore. He's, you know, that he's big uh, and he smells, you know, 13, you know. So, uh, when he was little, though, he would come to me and say, hey, will you help? can we do these, whatever, Legos together? And my brain would say, yeah, that's a thing that I should do. I should do this with you. I should build Legos with you right now. And technically, I do have 30 minutes, 15, 45 minutes to do it. I technically have that time to do it. It's a valuable thing to do. I should definitely do this. And so I would stop and I would begin to do this with him and immediately would begin to think of all the other things that I really should be doing. All the other things that, you know, and and phones have made it worse, right? Because right there within arm's reach is an email that I need to deal with right this second. And so it was hard to be in the moment. And then, you know, my Wendy would come in and say, hey, you know, later, let's go for a walk. And I go, yes, a walk with my wife. That is a thing that I should do and technically do have time to do. However, there's a paper that I could write. There's a, a, a sermon I could be working on. Always the thing that I need to be doing wherever I am. I'm constantly felt like I was pulled. And so I have to do, constantly felt like I was pulled. So I have to do all this work just to be still and be in the moment. Constantly felt almost trapped between two worlds. Unless I was being productive, I really wasn't being who I was supposed to be. I fight that to this day. Being a Christian is not like that. You shouldn't be like that. Uh, But it is this constant pull of being a follower of Jesus, living by faith in Christ, the, the, the Christian life, it is this constant pull where no matter where you are, you also feel like you're supposed to be somewhere else. We live in a overlapping of ages. When Jesus arrived and he died on the cross, a new age came invaded. It invaded time and space. And so we now live in the overlap where the old age, right, uh, when we're waiting, right, this old age is coming to an end, but we're still in it, but the new age has already started. It's already invaded time and space, and we live in this overlap. So that feeling that I think that we have a lot of times that, 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 that there's something else out there that will satisfy us is because, uh, as Lewis put it, uh, maybe if we can't find a thing to satisfy us in this world, perhaps it's because we were made for another. So we live in that overlap where there's something else out there that will make us happy. Constantly pulled, no matter where we are and what we have, maybe there's something else. Because we live in this overlap. 
And so the Christian life is that way. It's this pull between two different worlds. What's interesting to me, though, is that in these high concepts of eternity and time and space, in these high, big thinking concepts of, of eternity and time, of humanity and existence, of consciousness, what it means to be a person, in these concepts, these actually play out not in academic papers, but in everyday life that you and I live. Like in how we deal with one another, in our thinking and in our feeling, we're actually playing out these really big ideas, these really big concepts of the fact that we live in two different worlds. What does it mean to be a person that inhabits two worlds at the same time? And the way that works itself out in our hearts and in our lives and in our growing is actually in very normal, ordinary attitudes, interactions, and activities of everyday life. So James writes this letter, and he's wrapping it up. This is his, I want to read his conclusion today. It's part wisdom literature. It's part letter. It's part summing up some of Jesus' teaching. It's beautiful. I want to read to you the end of James because he talks about what we do while we wait in this overlap. Jesus has come. He will come again. So in this overlap, he addresses some of the things about how we're supposed to live. I'm going to start in verse 7 of James 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is a passage of what it's like to wait. What we're supposed to do while we wait. Waiting is not a passive thing for Christians. It's about, well, the primary first part of this passage focuses on patience. So I'd probably just skip that part since we all have that mastered. 
patience is this thing that, that he just, well, we wait. He says, wait patiently. I, I, I might be the absolute worst at waiting <laughs> patiently. I might be the absolute worst person that I have ever known about patience. Constantly driving to the next thing, never able to be sitting still, constantly needing to accomplish. There's never enough hours in the day. If I can figure out to see one hour less, I would be happier. I am so bad at patience. And he says that the way that we're supposed to wait is to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. While we wait, we do so patiently. We do so knowing that what we want is there and that it will eventually come. But no matter the effort, no matter the hurry, no matter the busy, no matter the striving, I'm not going to get there any faster. I'm not the one that determines the time. It's at hand, it's near, but it's not up to me to be here patiently. Because the temptation, I think, is for us while we wait is to, well, it's this temptation of humanity all along. The temptation is to lose hope and faith. There's this great psalm. Well, you know, as opposed to all the bad ones. Uh, Anyway, sorry, Psalm 37 is this psalm about how... um, How the right, it's, it's a psalm of encouragement and written to the people who are poor and needy, written to the righteous who are looking around and it really seems like they're not winning. You look around and it looks like the strong are winning. It says, the meek will inherit the land, but the wicked plot against the righteousness, gnash his teeth at them. The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those who are upright. Their swords shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. It's this back and forth in this psalm of saying, hey, it looks like somebody else is winning. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I've spent most of my life (laughs) fighting that impatience in my heart. To look at other people and go, they seem to be doing good. It's not just, here's what I'll say. I kind of grew up with this oversimplified thinking that, you know, if I was just a good person, if I'd you know, didn't drink, smoke, and chew, and hang out with girls who do, everything would be fine for me, right? That was what I was told, right? Like, you should do these things, and and you would look at other people who were doing those things, and, and, and it was like, well, yeah, they look like they're happy, but they're really not. Here's what I know at, at 47 years old. Some of them were. They were very happy. They were doing just fine. There are people who are not only not living a righteous life, but actively doing wicked that seem to be doing just fine. And I don't know what to do with that. I'd oversimplified it in good people get good things, bad people get bad things. And even though the Bible says, that's not true. But I wanted it to be true because I wanted it to be in my grasp, in my control. If I am good, I can control what happens to me. And the Bible says that's not true. It says that's not how it works. If far more is going on than your little ability to control your situation. Unbelievable. And so I would look at the situation and I would tend to lose hope when I realized that there are people doing all of the things that I said I would never do, doing all of the things that you're not supposed to do, and it seems like they're doing way better than me. They don't seem to have the sorrows that I have. They don't seem to have the hurts that I have. They don't seem to have the struggles that I have. They're not ever lonely. They're not ever struggling. They seem to be doing just fine. And the temptation is to begin to lose hope and faith in faithful, simple obedience to Christ. 
And what he's writing to them to say is, you look around and you see this and you're judging by the circumstances of what's on this timeline, but you live in an overlap of timelines and there's something more going on. There's something greater going on. There's an eternal timeline that's outside of time and space. There's an eternal eternity that exists that's going to invade and what you must do is you must be patient. God is going to deal with that. God is going to deal with the brokenness. So to pursue, he's encouraging these people who are looking around and seeing the wicked and the rich oppressing the poor, and it seems to be discouraging. He says, no, 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 no. Trust me, God knows, and he's going to deal with it. It's an encouragement to be patient. There's also a temptation to grow frustrated with the process because it takes too long. Where are the promises, right? Aren't I supposed to be more gentle by now? I mean, that's one of the promises, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit. To, 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 that, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and mercy, that all of these things will grow in my heart. Why do I remain all sharp angles? Why aren't I gentle? Why aren't I kind? Where is the joy? And I begin to struggle and we begin to, the temptation I think is to lose patience with the process. And James says, listen, it's like a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? That's what we have to do. I think that sometimes we think, yeah, no, I tried the Christianity thing, didn't work out for me. We tried it and it just wasn't, uh, it just didn't get me what I needed. And it, You know, not only that, I don't know that I'm any better off than I was. I don't know that I'm a better person than I was. Here, here's what I need to say to you. It's patience. I think that one of the things that we struggle with, maybe it's particularly American, I don't know. I, this is the only place I've ever lived. It's the only uh, time I've ever lived in. But it seems to me it would be easier to be patient if I had to walk everywhere. Right? Like you'd have time to think about a thing if you just walk, if you had to walk everywhere that you went. And we just fly around so quickly that we don't have time to think and deal with these things. There's just really no time to be patient. And so uh, I think that one of the things that we try, tries to, is trying, the world is trying to instill in us is an impatience. We want quick fixes, right? I mean, we want immediate results. We want it right now. We want drones delivering toilet paper within an hour. We, we, we want everything right now. And the problem is that nothing great that I can think of, I've been racking my brain, nothing great comes immediately. It's like this, right? There's the, I mean, January is coming up, right? January 1st, it's a good time to maybe think about some new things like getting in shape. Uh, here's, did you know that most gyms make the vast majority of their money in January? Yeah, super crowded in January in gym. February, not so much. March, it's back how it was in July. Like, it was, like there's nobody there. But they, you know, they've already you know, signed you up for a year. That's why they want you to sign up for a year because they know you're not going to be there in March. Because we think, like, I went to the gym for four days and I'm still not ripped. Four whole days I was there. It was exhausting. It's not fair. Uh, I actually feel way weaker than before I started the gym, so why would I go back? And we don't have the patience to sustain it. You know what? I don't know anybody that, like, took piano as a child, and after we fought and we argued and we complained and we threw a fit and we refused to practice and our parents finally let us quit... None of us now go like, hear Brandon play the piano and are like, I'm really glad my parents let me quit. No, we're all like, dang, why, did they make, why didn't they, like, why didn't my parents make me keep taking piano? 
But I gave up. Why? Because impatient. Why don't you start now, Chris? Are you kidding me? Who has time for that? All of these great things, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, they most often take time. I'm not saying that God can't in a moment change you dramatically. I've seen it happen. There's been moments in my life when I think that God has done that in my heart. Dramatic change. But the rest of the life is this slow process of watching it grow. You plant a seed and you wait and you wait and you wait. I think I see green. Nope. And you wait and you wait and you wait. Maybe there's, oh, there's a little something. It's not very exciting though. That is what we are called to, a long life of patience. One of my favorite titles of a book ever is this book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. The reason I love the title of this book is because he's Stealing a quote from an atheist. It's a Nietzsche quote. Nietzsche said this, that life is a long obedience in the same direction. He was talking about a different thing. And this guy, Eugene Peterson, takes this and uses it as the title of a devotional and says, yes, Nietzsche was right. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. Here's what I'll say. Let me say it this way. As January comes up and you decide what you're going to do, which, by the way, you don't have to wait till January to start reading your Bible, by the way. Like, you could do that today. Like, you don't have to wait. As a matter of fact, it's probably a good idea. Like if I, I can't tell myself I'm going on a diet in January because I'll put on 20 pounds between now and then, right? Like I go, I'm like an addict that thinks he's going to rehab. I'm like, well, you know, I better use it all up right now. So you eat all the pie between now and January. So you don't have to wait. But if you are thinking of a plan, I, I, here's, let me tell you this. I don't, I doubt, probably not, you reading the Bible in January, I don't know that it's really going to change your life. I don't know that one time, I don't know if you memorize one memory verse. I, I don't know that it really, I don't know that you see fruit. I, I don't think that for most of you, most of your life, I don't think any one sermon will make that much of a difference. I think several thousand will. I think several thousand mornings getting up and reading your Bible. I think several thousand mornings getting up and dedicating yourself to memorizing scripture. I think several thousand of those moments will make dramatic changes in your life. You know who's good at this? Businesses. Businesses are real patient. You ever wondered why you see that same commercial a million times? Because they're patient. They know it's not the fifth time, not the sixth time, the eighth or the ninth time, though, it's going to be stuck in your brain. And next time you're looking for insurance, it might be Liberty Mutual. You know? They know. They're patient. They're masters of social media and advertising because they're patient. They know that it'll just slowly get into your brain. And when you don't even know it's there, it'll suggest something to you. Here's what I'd say this. We are being slowly shaped and molded by something. Our kids are being catechized, taught something, shaped by TikTok or scripture. It's happening. Whether you want it to or not, you are not independent in this world. You do not exist on an island isolated from everything. There are things in this world that are shaping your soul. There are forces that are willing to be patient. It is a battle for us to fight back being patient with spiritual growth. 
investing in it because we know that it is valuable and it is pushing back against the forces of this world. Be patient, therefore, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And temptation is also to find shortcuts and quick satisfaction, quick ways out of suffering. And the Bible says, he's saying this, and be patient in your suffering. Be patient in your struggles. Be patient in these circumstances. And, and it gives a reason why we should be patient in all of these things. And he says, because the Lord is coming. A few verses later, he says, because the judge is standing at the door. We don't know when this is happening, but we believe that Jesus came once, that he's coming again. And even though I don't know the time, the Bible constantly says this. The New Testament constantly says this. It's near. It's near. I love that image. I used to, you know, there's people that would argue that, well, they just didn't understand time. And I'm like, nah, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that they meant it's near as in we live in the overlap and we don't know when it's going to fully invade. I don't know when I'm going to see Jesus. But I know that he's coming back and he's going to make all things new. So why should I be patient? Because this is a fact and a reality. So we wait patiently. There's also a temptation in, while we're waiting to complain, to grumble, right? Um, I think that maybe grumbling... How about this? I just don't think that love can grow in soil that's mostly grumbling. And that's just not out loud, by the way. I noticed this about myself as I was preparing for this sermon, and it was deeply upsetting. Most of my grumbling is not out loud, and I do plenty out loud. Most of it's inside my head. Most of the grumbling and complaining, we'll be just driving down the street, when do you look over and she's like, are you complaining or preaching? Like, I'm just dead silent, but she can tell by like my hand, my hand motions and stuff that inside my head something is happening. And I'm either, I'm really animated about something. I'm either really upset and complaining and grumbling in my head or I'm, or I'm preparing a sermon. Most of my grumbling and complaining happens inside I realized that as I've, you know, I've kind of caught myself complaining about a situation, complaining about things that happened in the past, and I was just very upset, and I found myself talking about all, them all the time, and I was convicted that I needed to stop grumbling. So I simply stopped talking about it, but I never dealt with it in my heart. So the grumbling just kept happening just in my head. The grumbling is such a problem. It seems like such a minor thing, but it's such a problem because it just really undermines our ability to be still and be in the moment. It, it, it undermines joy. It undermines satisfaction. How, if there's a grumbling, will we ever be fulfilled and satisfied in what God has promised us? And, and so our temptation is to look around at all of the other people and all the other things and all of the other situations that people have and to be grumbling and complaining about them. The problem is those things, our dissatisfaction with our situation prevents gratitude and it prevents joy and it prevents our hearts from being shaped because we're so dissatisfied. And we have reason to be satisfied. We have reason to have so much joy. We have reason to have so much hope. And we have reason to have so much faith. And what we can do, it's such a better way to live instead of focusing on what's not exactly right about the world, on what others have that I don't. It will be so, or what these people have done to me, to instead focus on what Christ has done for me and what he has given me and the hope that I have in him. I mean, which one sounds like a better way to live? Why do I keep choosing this way? 
Why do I keep choosing the grumbling way when I know and can write you a paper, a dissertation about why it doesn't help me, why it's bad for me, why I don't want to be that way, but I choose it over and over again. My heart is broken, this constant need to grumble and complain about the situation that I find myself in. That is the temptation. He says, brothers, do not grumble. Specifically, he says, do not grumble against one another. Another temptation that we face as we wait is to be patient with God's justice. I find myself, um, I find myself dreaming about bringing down huge international corporations that have made me anger. Uh, I know that sounds insane, but uh, if you want a little peek on what's like in my head, this is it. Uh, I'm currently at war with both Marriott and Sony. Uh, in case you're curious, uh, I am losing my mind. I, I called, I, my TV went, my TV died. This is not a cheap TV, it died. I call them on the phone, they're like, ooh, six months out of warranty. I'm like, so I can expect your TVs to last 30 months? And they were like, uh, let us transfer you. And then I get the lady with the script. Uh, and she keeps reading this. And I'm like, stop reading your script. Listen, I know this is not your fault. I'm not mad at you, but I just need you to know that I'm going to talk about this so often that, I at least, that you at least lose more money than replacing my TV would cost. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure enough Sonys are not sold uh, that I get my money back. Yeah. I yelled at a Marriott robot this week. Yes, please, please, I'm begging you, let me take the survey at the end of this call about my satisfaction. It wasn't actually a human being. It was another robot. Sir, would you plus five? I'm like, zero, zero, zero. Very dissatisfied. Uh, and my injustices are minor. Like I'm screaming at the Marriott robot about dehumanizing effects of automation and like nobody's listening to that ever. That went into an email inbox somewhere that is not checked. My dissatisfaction, my, the injustices that I face are so minor, are so tiny compared to what happens in the world. Um, And still I find myself enraged by them. What is wrong with me? I feel that I have to take in my own hands the defending of my honor, the defending of the injustice done against me. Uh, And it is just gross. It's gross. To not trust, to not not only be not satisfied that I live in a world that I can afford to stay at a Marriott and have a Sony... But to not only not be satisfied with that, to not only grumble and complain about that, but to spend time <laughs> trying to f- bring things right somehow. What, what, what insanity is this that I live in? Real injustice, God says, he's coming to deal with. We live in a world with real injustices, not Chris injustices, real injustices, real harm and real hurt. And there's a temptation for us to rage and wonder and say, how can this be? Where is God? And he says, be patient. I am near. And I will deal on an eternal scale with all of the injustices. I will take the low places and make them high. I'll take the high places and bring them low. I will do it. And we can have great confidence in these promises, even when we struggle to, for them to make sense. We can have great promise, struggle, great, uh, great confidence in these promises because he has always said, this is what he says, look at this. He's always done what he says. He says uh, in this text, he says, look back. 
Consider those of old as examples of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, consider Job. He says, look back at Scripture. Look back at the things in Scripture and see how God has always been faithful. Those people that struggled faithfully, Job who suffered, suffered patiently. Yes, he complained, but he was righteous. He did it in God's presence, and he did not take. It is an excuse to walk away. He said, I will praise God, though he reduced me to ashes. Those types of things we praise. So in our suffering and in our struggling, be patient. Be patient. There is hope. God will deal with injustice. God will deal with all the wrongs done to you. God is going to do these things. And here's how we know. Not just the promises, but the cross. You look at the cross and you go, how could this be justice? It's not. It's a great injustice. An innocent Savior crucified And God brings through this great injustice the greatest salvation that we could have ever dreamed of. He takes things that are the worst things we could dream of and somehow on eternal scale works them for the great glory of those who love him. This is the promise of scripture. We must be patient. He says this, he says, establish your hearts. I love that. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are being shaped. Establish your heart in things that matter and things that count. Look to these old examples. Look to, in our scripture reading, to God's faithfulness. Look to what he has done and then trust what he has said that he will do. He has a purpose and he is working it out. And then verse 12 says this, um, but above all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by anything other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. There are people who would swear by oaths at the time. We have, they have uh, uh, documents and stuff such where people would swear by oaths. I, I have this weird thing about the word promise. Uh, I, I almost treat it like a magic word. Like you, I, you probably never, other, other than me saying this is a promise in Scripture, I promise you this is true, pointing at Scripture, you probably never heard me say I promise something. I don't know why. It's like, a, like it's a weird thing with me that if I promised and like, uh, like I like, uh, like the whole world's going to come to an end if I'm not able to, uh, I'm in a hospital. Like I feel like I've let you down, even though like I was in a car wreck and ended up in the hospital, but I promised I'd be there. So like I would wheel myself in like attached to IVs and stuff. Like I just think it's weird. That's not what he's talking about. It's this general idea, or at least the principle that lies underneath all of this is simple truthfulness, reliability, be honest. Which is not a huge deal, right? Like, well, okay, well, that's pretty simple. Nothing more needs to be said about that, that Christians should be truthful, reliable. Except that it doesn't really work that way, right? It's not just a box to be checked. I think that maybe better when we're not reliable and we're not truthful, Why? Right? I mean, I think that what it's saying is that we should be because we have this great foundation, because we are people who take words seriously, because we are reliable. We want you to be able to trust what we say. All of these things, yes, 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 all of those things. My question then becomes, why are we often resistant to being truthful? I mean, for example, it's real hard to get me to commit to something. <laughs> Like, it's real hard to pin me down. You know why? Something better might come along that I want to do instead. So I'm not going to tell you I'm coming to your thing because I might, I don't, I, who knows? I might decide I want to do something else. 
I'm like, nothing at all. Uh, and just lay out the house. Uh, it's really hard to get me to commit to do something. Uh, and that makes me not reliable. And why is it that, that it gets, why is it that it's hard to commit? Well, when I begin to examine my heart, the reason is, is because I think that there's going to be an event or something that comes along or something that does, that, that, that happens or something that I can actually plan myself. It's going to happen one day that this thing comes along that is going to make everything okay, but I can't come because I promised to come to your thing. Isn't that stupid? To believe that somehow everything's going to be okay if the exact right movie comes on TV or that, uh, that, that the exact right uh, dinner situation. Like, it's crazy. And so I, I, it's hard to pin me down. You know what, though? It can happen the other way, too. We cannot be reliable because we just, instead of like me and refusing to say yes, not reliable because we say yes all the time. They're not going to come because they say yes to everything and they've overcommitted so they're going to feel pulled in a thousand directions and one of these balls is going to drop and they're not going to make it so why are they not reliable why are they not truthful in that area how is that possible well it's just a different heart condition right i need to tell you yes so you'll like me i need to say yes because i'm afraid i might miss out so i say yes to everything And so we look at why we aren't truthful, why we aren't reliable, and what James is saying is not just like, hey guys, don't forget to be trustworthy, Christians are trustworthy. What he's saying is, don't you see? We know that we live in the overlap. We know that the eternal is already begun. We know that we live in two different worlds at the same time. We know all of these things. You can stand firm in these promises, so you can be firm in yours. We have these great promises that can never change, so you can be firm in yours. You can speak truth. You can be gentle in your truth, in, in, in speaking the truth, but you can be reliable people because you can rely on what's been done for you. You understand how the world works. You can say no and deal with missing out. You can say yes and deal with missing out. You can say no and know that you might have to come back and say, I apologize, I've made a mistake, and deal with that humility. We have this great faith, this great understanding of how the world works. And the way that we lay hold of this is in prayer. The whole next section is about prayer. Um, And I just want to say this about that section. As we live in the already, but not yet, as we live in the in-between and the overlap, as we deal with uh, very human, uh, human things, very uh, time and space-bound things, we also are living with these eternal things. And our tie to that eternal thing in the time and space thing is prayer. And he says that prayer is incredibly powerful. A habit that we ought to cultivate. That things happen when we pray unbelievable that the God of all creation would listen to us and hear us and shape us and long to give to his children good things when we pray. Unbelievable. Prayer is a thing that we should cultivate. Here's what I noticed a few years ago, a couple years ago. All of the people, the men and women who have been in ministry or have been faithful saints through the years, had one of two things in common. As I noticed, that they got to retirement age and retired. Because here's the deal. Uh, I've noticed this. Sometimes pastors don't go willingly. Like, you know, I don't want to be that guy that's like 78 years old and everybody's like, somebody's got to tell him. Like, it's been 10 years since he was done. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes they just got to drag these guys off the stage, right? And they just cause all kind of havoc. I'm not being ugly. It's just, you know, I get it. Here's what I noticed about the ones that I really respect, the men and the women. 
they were either men and women of faithful, faithful prayer their whole lives, or when asked about life, I've heard this by two different people, and it struck me. They asked, what do you wish you had known when you were younger? And they both said, how much prayer I would need. I wish I'd prayed more. As we live in the in-between, in the overlap, our access, our attention, the thing that holds us into that other world, because we live in both, right? We're part of the eternal thing that's already happened because of who Jesus is and what he has done by faith in him. We are already part of that other world. Our eternity is set secure. Our place is already held by Christ for us in heaven. Also, I have to do carpool, right? Like the way that we hold these two things together, right? The way we hold these two things together that overlap is prayer. The application of the eternal into the presence, the t- going into God's presence and working these things out, I cannot encourage you enough. Christians, we are praying people. The way that we can have patience, the way that we can lay hold of these things is praying. And here is the thing. Again, one prayer, probably not going to change your life. Thousands of prayers, a habit of praying, it will change everything. Spending time with the God who spoke everything into existence, who is going to make heaven and earth new again? Yes. I think, though, the reason we don't, we don't have the patience. It takes time. We feel like failures because we don't get immediate results. Be encouraged. That's not the way it works. Be encouraged. It's already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. You don't have to get to the finish line. You get up every day, and in every conversation that you have, in every interaction that you deal with, in every person that you talk with, everything that you make a decision, every plan that you make, you simply be obedient. And over a lifetime, it will have eternal consequences. Be patient in prayer. Be patient in scripture memorization. Be patient in scripture reading. Be patient with each other. This is what we're called to do, and we can do it because of who Christ is, because what we have in the eternal is already secure. So in time and space, we can wait knowing that we have already laid hold of those things. Let's pray. Father, what a confusing thing to be a limited being, but also to be an eternal being, to be a being who... Minutes and seconds shape us. Minutes and seconds uh, feel like they control us, but yet at the same time, eternal beings change us. <laughs> Give us a vision of the eternal so that we know what it means to live in the already but not yet, so we can see how to navigate the already but not yet, so we can see that you are this light in this darkness, to see that these complicated, huge theological concepts actually play out and work out in everyday life. So in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in our struggles, in our sufferings, in, our, in the injustices that we face, May we see that our obedience, that our simple obedience, our simple trust, you will do eternal things with. And shape us and change us, mold us. Make us people who find joy in the moment 
while at the same time knowing that we exist in the eternal. Unbelievable joy, peace, love, goodness, gentleness, all of these things growing in our lives through simple obedience, through simple dwelling, through simple listening, simple being, still and quiet in the presence of a God who desires to make us new, is making us new by faith in Jesus. How beautiful. Help us to have the wisdom to live this way. The patience. Grow this inside of us, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.